I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Brian Biro, author of Lessons from the Legends, New Applications for the Timeless Wisdom of John Wooden and Pat Summit. Armed with degrees from Stanford University and UCLA, Brian Biro has drawn inspiration from NCAA and SEC championship winning coaches Pat Summit and John Wooden. His book explores the essential values of humility, loyalty, encouragement, and respect as exhibited by these legends. Lessons from the Legends transcends the basketball court, offering a championship-building team formula applicable to teachers, business leaders, parents, and anyone striving to make character their reputation. Brian Byer is a best-selling author and public speaker, having delivered over 1,800 presentations on leadership and team building and breaking through globally. He emphasizes how business leaders ensure that their personal character aligns with their professional reputation, advocating for excellence over ego. He's been featured on Good Morning America, CNN, and numerous podcasts. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's a joy to be with you. Well, it's a joy to have you on the show because as I'm thinking about what's happening in our world today, it seems like we are going in the wrong direction. That character, uh, whether it's professionally or personally, doesn't seem to be on the rise. Good character, uh, good leadership necessarily. So where do we stand in, uh, well, in the context of your book, I would say? Well, I tell you, you just hit the nail on the head. I wrote this book because I have such a passion to see us re reignite our passion for character. The character matters, that who we are makes a difference, and that character and humility and some of the, the foundational principles that really we want to teach our children, we need to start to put those up front again instead of hype and fake and all the other things that are taking over our world. Well, what happened to us? We got, we're going down this slip, slippery slope, I guess I'm calling it, uh, when character doesn't seem to matter. Where did it, you know, where was, was there a certain point that this happened? And because uh, you're talking about sports and making the analogy in sports and good coaches and good leadership, and that can translate to our, to business and relationships and family. Um, where did we go wrong? Well, I, you know, I think that one of the biggest factors is media um, and definitely social media that um, I think that we one of my favorite uh, statements from John Wooden. Now, first of all, I'll make sure that everyone knows who these two legends are that I wrote about. Uh, John Wooden was the greatest men's college basketball coach in history. Um, he was an even better person. Um, he uh, coached UCLA basketball to 10 national championships. And a little context, Catherine, no other coach in men's history has won more than five. Um, but he would have been the first to tell you that he didn't win any in the first 27 years that he was a coach. So um, he used to say, it's what you learn after you know everything that makes the difference. And then Pat Summit was the University of Tennessee Volunteers women's basketball coach, and she was a trailblazer. She was uh, as, as different as she was in style to John Wood, and John Wooden was very gentlemanly. Uh, Pat Summit was intense. Uh, she could melt metal with her stare, but they had such similar internal character virtues. Um, and I believe that, you know, for both of them, they would say that um, the proliferation of trying to make 
make a, I don't know, hype out of, out of what sports is really about and what life is really about. Um, rather than try to uh, put people in a bad place, Coach Wooden said, we must learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. And I think that over the many years, we've gotten into yelling at each other, telling each other, calling each other names. And, and really, it's time to get back to, do we really want that for our children? We want them to be people who um, can't get along with people who are different than them. Um, differences are resources if we look at it properly. So I think that one of the biggest elements has been the, um, the, movement, to, uh, the movement and the time spent in the negative aspects of social media, there's good parts. Um, connecting with old friends. I was a coach in my um, very first career, and I'm connecting with people I coached 40 and 50 years ago, and that's wonderful. But the, the uh, sensationalism, the uh, focus on really creating enemies out of people who see the world differently uh, is something that I think has been proliferated through, through especially social media. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, too, agree with you. Social media really can be used for the good, as you mentioned, connecting with friends, uh, advertising good businesses. I mean, there's a whole gamut of things that brings the world together. Uh, and we do focus on the negative. Everyone blames social media this for whatever is bad in the world. Kind of change that around as you're kind of describing it. Social media can be great and can give us the best in the of what's happening in the world globally. Absolutely. In, in my day, when I was a young man, it was, uh, it was kind of television. You know, we, when I was a kid growing up, we had three stations. And if you uh, had a really good TV, you could get four and get UHF. Right? And then, you know, with 200 and some odd quests, I don't know how many channels there are. Um, when I was a kid, well, growing up, the challenge was to get what was the, the television stare, the addictiveness of television to us. We could look, have somebody standing in front of us in between us and the television, we just stand, sit there and stare at it. Um, and that's kind of what happens as people get into the addictiveness of the social media. And so much of it can be um, used for, for non-character kinds of things. So I wrote this book because I believe that these character elements that I talk about in the book are absolutely timeless. And if we can get back to them, we can turn this thing around. We can, we can really understand that service is love in action. We can really understand that we are here to give credit and take responsibility, not the other way around. Uh, we can stop blaming because blame is about the past. And we can become blame busters and start focusing on solutions, on moving forward. So that's really the, the, the joy about writing this book. And I, I, I purposely chose two people to write about who are so completely different in style and yet their principles and their core characters were so similar that, and one's a man, one's a woman, um, one was on the West, one was in the East. And I, I wanted to show that we can be very different and yet be pulled together by the source of, by the power of character. And also, I think part of, uh, you know, by using these two coaches, one of the things is sports is one of those arenas where people get together, no matter what your, you know, whatever your political beliefs are, religious beliefs, or whatever your ethnicity or religion, people go to sports games and they do get together and they are rooting for one team or the other. And that is, I'm using the word arena again, but that's one place where we kind of th throw away these differences and are so, and, and are just so disagreeable, as you said, it's, but we embrace the differences. 
Absolutely. You know, and my first career, as I said, I went to Stanford University. We won't mention any years, a very long time ago. And going through school, <laughs> I... You can tell school, us. I, <laughs> well, you've already, I have to tell you, you already dated yourself because you said uh, the television set, three stations, which I'm also... I know, I know. Well, we're, we're right possible. about the... We're in the 70th year here, so... Um, <laughs> okay. I, I put myself through school by teaching and coaching swimming. And when I graduated from Stanford, I became a, a swimming coach and had a, a wonderful run. My team uh, became one of the largest teams in America. Um, but I understood something that, that, that I think both of these, these two coaches really understood and that everyone should understand sports is a great arena, but we coach people, not sports. The sports part is easy. It's people. It's helping people break through their fears, their obstacles, habits, or doubts. It's helping them to understand that being humble is not weakness. So many people think that humility means if you're humble, you can't be confident. And that is so erroneous. That is so backwards. You can be very confident and very humble, as were John Wooden and Pat Summit, because being humble doesn't mean you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less. And the key to why humility is so crucial and one of the most powerful uh, character characteristics of both of these two, only those who are humble are lifelong learners because only those who are humble are always looking to learn. They always believe that they can improve. They always believe that there's something new that they can, that can help them do a better job. And uh, so here are two of the greatest of all time who are constantly looking to learn. And as a result, when you're humble, you give credit. Uh, and take responsibility. It's amazing what's accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit. Credit is something you give. Responsibility is something you take. Uh, and someone who is truly, truly humble and a great, what I call, breakthrough leader would rather make a mistake and learn from it than always pretend they're right. And I think this is one of the most powerful things that we've got to, to relearn that we are so caught up in wanting to go the other direction, to, to blame others, um, to not take responsibility, to not say, hey, I didn't do it well this time. I learned from it. Here's what I'm going to do differently the next time. And that's really what I want to teach our children, what I think is so vital in parenting. And really, ultimately, that's where character begins is in the home. All right. So you're prior- prioritizing, I guess, collaboration and teamwork over the individual ego. That's what we need to do. I want to talk Absolutely. about resilience because you talk about that, that, that that's key. That's critical. Resilience and leadership. What does that mean? How does that, how does that play out? And again, that, that actually ties in beautifully to that concept of, of humility is that resilience is, is absolutely vital. The world doesn't always go the way that we want it. Um, and so one of the most powerful ways that we can really learn to become resilient is understanding the power of questions. Now, that may seem kind of, what questions have to do with resilience? Um, when my kids were growing up, one of the ways we wanted to really help them to develop resilience um, was that we asked certain questions each day that were actually resilience building. We'd ask, at the end of the day, what did you do today you felt great about? So they got to think about something that went well. What did you learn today that you're excited about? I wanted my children, and I think this is great. This is very adaptive to any business, to any team at all. What did you learn today you're excited about? Because what I've noticed is people who love to learn are not so afraid to fail. And that's a critical component in becoming resilient because they don't look at it as failure when they fail, when they miss, make a mistake. They look at it, what can I learn? How can I get better? So question one, what did you do today you felt great about? Question two, what did you learn today that you're excited about? Question three, what did you give today? 
that made someone else happy. If you're not giving, you're not living. Right? And when you give, you understand that service is love in action. And the fourth question is really the resilience building. What are you looking forward to tomorrow? And by kind of building those kinds of questions into the way that we worked with our kids, and I look at our family as our, as our number one team, over time, what I realized is that uh, my, my kids would try for things. Would they always get them? No. But they were resilient because they built up this reserve that something good's coming tomorrow, that I'm going to learn from everything that happens in my life, that I have a chance to give to make someone happy, and there's always something to look forward to tomorrow. Um, and I, I kind of have a, a personal um, relationship with resilience that I think is most powerful. Uh, my youngest daughter, whose name is Jenna, um, when she was 23, um, the man she was about to become engaged with was found dead from a drug overdose. And it ripped her beautiful heart to shreds for a while. And as her dad, I wanted to fix it. And I couldn't fix it. It wasn't mine to fix. But today, my daughter is the most joyous, beautiful, happy person. It took a while. It took a lot of work. Right? But I believe that those resilience-building questions over time helped her. And now she understands that within every adversity, even the most dire of adversities is planted the seed of an equivalent or greater benefit that the toughest things we make our way through, aren't they the things, the very things from which we grow the most. And that's where resilience really comes into play. Yeah. When you talk to people who have had, who uh, are successful in in a positive way, in the way you've been talking about, one of the things is they will always say that the things that happened to me that were the most devastating or what they initially thought of as failures that they, overcame uh, with the, with the, I'm not going to say the best thing that ever happened in their lives, but those are the things that helped to motivate them and to go on and to do, to become successful. And no, just by no learning from those it, kinds yeah. of experiences. Yeah. And it's interesting that both John Wooden and Pat Summit, who I wrote about, as we look on the far side of their careers, they're, they're both passed away as we stand here looking back at them, we go, oh, they were legendary. They were the greatest of all time. But here's the funny thing. The year before John Wooden won his first national championship, which was 1964, he was thought of as the coach who could not win the big one. He was thought of as a, a pretty good coach. He had, gone, he had been a coach in his career for 27 years and never won a national championship. Over the next 12 years, the last 12 years of his career, uh, he won 10 national championships, which is unbelievable. So talk about resilience. And part of that resilience was he focused on what he could control and not what he didn't control. He focused on his own effort, his energy, his attitude. And Pat Summit, the same thing. Pat Summit went to eight national championships before she won her first. In other words, she went to eight final fours and never came away with a national championship. So she, again, she was thought of as, what a great coach, but she doesn't have what it takes to win the big one. And then she went on to win eight national championships. So both of them are brilliant examples of resilience. And both of them focused on what they controlled, not what they didn't control. And that is a vital component to being resilient, to breaking through, right, and to having great peace of mind. Um, when you focus on your effort, your energy, your attitude, your learning, right, then you're always seeking to be your best. And you let go of worrying about comparison. And that is another of the biggest pieces of, of character that I wanted to build from this book is that 
whenever we are thinking about comparison to other people, <clears throat> we either put ourselves too high or too low because, and we're look, focusing on what we don't control. But when we focus on our own effort, energy attitude, we focus on shaping our future, energizing, engaging ourselves, and building people, teams, and relationships, we have a chance to have true breakthrough lives. But another thing that you mentioned, which you don't always hear about, in, uh, uh, is incur- and I, this is, I think, critical, it's really important to encourage curiosity in le- leadership. And you kind of highlight this as one of the essential values in your book. Because uh, curiosity is key. Not talked about too much, though. I absolutely am so glad that you gleaned that from, from this book. Uh, to me, leadership today, more than ever, um, with the, this is one of the keys in a world where there is a lot of social media, where we have a, a, people have seemed to have shorter attention spans, that being a great leader today is more about questions than answers. Um, it's only through questions that we build leaders. Um, it's only through questions that we have a chance to really ignite people to think for themselves and to start to find solutions. Uh, through questions, we help people kind of clarify and, and energize their vision. And so by being curious about people, that's, to me, that's the greatest part of being a parent, being a coach, doing what I do now as a professional speaker, is to learn about the people that I want to impact because everyone's different. And by, by really being curious is the only way you're going to find out what really matters to this person. How can I really help this person develop and grow? Both John Wood and Pat Summit, the Lessons from the Legends, uh, would have told you that the worst thing you can ever do as a coach and a parent is to coach and parent exactly the same for every person. Because every person is not the same. Some people need a pat on the back. Some people need a lot of praise. Some people need some space and let them go. And some people need a pointed pat on the back called your toe in their tush once in a while. And, I, and the only way you're going to find out about that is to be curious, to ask, to observe. Um, one of John Wooden's wonderful, uh, he had the pyramid of success, which he used to generate a model for rising to your greatest potential, was called alertness. That we have this incredible capacity for alertness that we underuse. Example, 95% of the time when somebody's talking, we're not really listening. What we're doing is we're formulating our response in our mind, and we're missing out on their real communication. Um, the most beautiful and powerful study about communication represented that there are three elements in communication. One is, what is the words we say? One is the way we say them, our tonality, all right? And the last is body language. And 55% of communication is body language. Um, in other words, and 38 is tonality. Only 7% is the words. And what that means is if we're not really curious and alert and paying attention, we're going to miss out on what they're really telling us through their body language, their tonality, and their words. When you're doing radio, you don't have body language. So I'm thinking about those percentages. You're saying 38%, right? Uh, has yeah, to... but you can feel the body language, can't you? You can feel somebody who's really passionate and that, that is coming through their tonality. There's also research that says that I've uh, that we only hear or three percent of what someone is trying to communicate to us. Three percent. The rest. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which, I'm going to steal that statistic. Okay. That's a good one. You know, <laughs> you can, and, and yeah. you may think it's only about uh, about what we hear. I'll give 
I ask every one of your uh, every one of your listeners a question, and I hope they'll answer out loud. Uh, what color is a yield sign? Now, I've asked that in my seminars to um, probably close to a million people, and every audience I've ever spoken to, nearly 1,900 of them now. I'm in Boston this morning to speak to a, a great big group today. They say yellow. Well, red yield signs are red and white. They're upside down tri- triangles with red around the edges and red letters that say yield. Uh, and so um, I'll bet most people out there said they're yellow. But here's the key. We don't use our vision to see most of the time as we don't use our ears to listen. We use our memory and our conditioning. And whenever you use your memory and conditioning to, to see, you don't see what is, you see what was. And the second you lock under what was, you wipe out what is and could be. So this is so important by being alert and curious we can open incredible vistas in our lives. But, you know, when you ask that question, that that's the first thing that came to my mind was they're yellow. And then I thought, no, they're not. They're red and white. But it took time. Uh, I mean, it only took a few seconds. But, yes, the first thing I thought was yellow. Um, you, you know, probably 95% of the audiences immediately say yellow. And they probably do come back. Maybe they're because they know I'm asking a trick question, but they still say yellow. And that is the power of conditioning. Which, which can step can move us away from true alertness and true vision. Well, if you're trying to, if you're communicating with someone who has very different views than you, and I think I go back to this curiosity thing, because rather than coming back with trying to prove that you're right and they're wrong, and you become, as you say, disagreeable, um, if you really think about what people do on the radio, somebody interviewers who are interviewing people on the radio, ask the questions. Just stand back and try and and ask a question rather than respond with trying to prove uh, that you're right. Whatever you're, you know, you're right and and they're wrong. You're so correct, and and you know, I, I often think about this in terms of relationships. Uh, would you rather be right and lose that relationship or just listen and under- try to seek to understand? Uh, to me, the most powerful principle in the lessons from the legends, the most powerful principle we can bring into our lives to start to be able to disagree without being disagreeable, to really begin to understand one another and get back from this calling each other names and, and kind of separating and creating more and more separation in our country and our world the most powerful way to combat that is to be fully present. Um, when you're fully present, 100% of your mind, body, and spirit is with the person you're with where they are now. And that sends a message to them, a subliminal message, but an incredibly powerful one, that, that they are important to you right now. Whether you agree with them or disagree, but with, when you are fully present, you say to them, you're important, you matter, you count. And whenever you're not present, you send the opposite message. And the power of being present, mean, present means that we can step into somebody else's shoes and may not agree with them, but we can be where they are for a minute and understand where they're coming from and generate that, that elusive thing in our current culture called respect. We've got to learn to respect one another again. If somebody's different in us, than us, doesn't mean they don't have you know, great goals. It doesn't mean they don't want the best for you and for everyone else. They may just have a different set of of ways to get there. And boy, that was John Wooden and, and Pat Summit. When you were with John Wooden or you were with Pat Summit, and it, I think it's so remarkable because they're the most famous people in their field at the time of all time. They made you feel important because they were so utterly fully present. Uh, the first time I met Coach Wooden, he became a good friend. He wrote the forward to my very first book. Uh, 
I was in awe. I had grown up admiring this man from the way he treated people with dignity and respect. Well, after two hours of sitting in his living room with him and asking him a lot of questions, um, I came away feeling like he thought I was somebody important, and that was because he was so fully present. That's really the secret to your success in radios. You make the I can feel it right here, even though I can't see you. You help every guest by knowing by being so present with what they're saying, so present with them that it sends that message. Hey, I want the best for you. You're important. You matter. You count. Well, and. We only have a couple minutes left, but thank you for that. Um, so I do want, I know I read in the beginning, you have 18, you've done 1800 presentations on leadership. Now you're in Boston. I just curious as to, you know, before we say goodbye, uh, who are you speaking to today in Boston? Having lived in Boston, went to Boston University, are you in, is this just for business or universities or where, you know? Uh, yes, it's for a business. It's for a, a company called EMD. They're a large pharmaceutical company. Um, and I'm right down, if you know Boston, I'm right down in Copley Square. Um, so right in the heart of Boston. Um, and I love what I do. I've spoken to virtually every industry you can think of. Um, and I love that I'm called America's Breakthrough Speaker because to me, that's what life is about, breaking through from fear to freedom, from failure to faith, from ego to ego, and from good to great. Brian? Thanks so much for being on the show today. And I'm going to repeat the book, Lessons from the Legends, New Applications for the Timeless Wisdom of John Wooden and Pat Summit. And the author is Brian Biro. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's been a total, total pleasure. I wish you great joy. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 